Hello and welcome back to Bricks and Banner, the show with real talk from the custom Lego community. I'm your host as always, Billy. And before we get started, I want to let you know that on our Instagram page, that's Bricks underscore and underscore banter, there's a wrap up post with every episode that I put up that contains some images relating to the things we discussed. So if you're feeling a little lost or want to check something out that we've discussed, there might be an image there that's corresponding to it. So might fill you in. Maybe it won't. Maybe I forgot to add it in. You know, it is what it is. But uh, also, while you're there, you could go and repost that post onto your story and, uh, you know, get a little love for the pod out there. Show it off to your friends. Because, hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, anybody who's following you probably will, too. Currently, that's one of the best ways to support the podcast, so I would appreciate any shares, send it off to a friend, or even if you uh, go on Spotify or iTunes, you can uh, rate us five stars if you enjoyed it. And well, if you didn't enjoy it, then I guess uh, don't rate it five stars. Uh, But I mean, I I guess I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. You could continue listening, but if you continue listening, then you're probably going to enjoy it. So then you're probably going to rate it five. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's let's just move into it. This episode, we have a pioneer of the community, somebody who has helped shape the custom scene as we know it today. He started one of the oldest and most notable custom accessory brands to date. That's right. We're joined today by Kyle Peterson, the founder of Brickforge. We discussed the origins of Lego talk on internet forums, the ins and outs of developing Brickforge, why he ultimately decided to sell his company, and so much more. So with no further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kyle Peterson. And we're here with Kyle Peterson, the man behind Brickforge, the founder. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Um, This really came about just out of the blue. I was not expecting this to work out or get a response, but uh, I've really appreciated your feedback so far and your willingness to do this. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Entirely my pleasure. All right. So we might as well just get right into it. Um, what I'm curious about, even before we get into Brickforge stuff, was were you an AFOL before creating Brickforge, or did create the creation of Brickforge sort of involve you into the community? I was absolutely a lifelong fan of Lego. Um, when I graduated college, I kind of found myself single with nothing else to do, and I sent for my little suitcase of Lego I had since I was a child. And that kind of sparked, uh, reignited that interest in Lego bricks. And soon I started buying them off the shelf and found a community online through the old Usenet groups, the Recreation Arts Lego. And sure enough, I became an AFOL. That's not a form I've heard of before. That's interesting. Around what uh, year was that? Uh, well, that's going to date me. Um, so... <laughs> That was in, boy, those Usenet groups were 1990, early 1990s. No kidding. Yeah. Goodness, Um, man. That is incredible. Dialing up on the modem and everything. Um, And I found, I think I found the Lego group in 1996. Um, Recreation Arts Toys Lego, I think, was kind of that um, meta URL to, to get to the the other Lego enthusiasts that were also online at the time. Wow. I sincerely did not recognize that the online community went that far back. Um, oh, yeah. Which I'm sure is naive of me being in <laughs> a kid in the internet age, but wow. Um, what was the community like that back then? What sort of stuff was being shared around? Well, recreation... Uh, t- Oh, Rec Arts Toys Lego was actually Rec Arts Toys. Um, and it was just anything from model railroads to Star Wars action mm. figures uh, to Lego. And eventually those subgroups, those demographics grew too large that Usenet started breaking those groups out. Um, you know, it was probably mostly older men um, building really incredible models and 
you know, they would share their photos, but sometimes on um, the dial-up age, those photos took, you know, about 30 minutes to load up. So it was mostly discussion about the Lego themes at the time. And uh, eventually those discussions started steering towards how boring uh, and homogenous the minifigs were becoming. It's interesting to know that the sentiment to start customizing Lego was even present back then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, we saw the same swords uh, since the 80s and the same helmets. Uh, and so I don't, I don't believe there was a customization subgroup on Usenet. I don't think it ever grew that large. Um, but Eurobricks popped up and mm-hmm. um, also ClassicCastle.com was a pretty um, prolific website. It was growing pretty large. And a lot of the discussion was just how the castle figures at the time were just the same uh, as they were a decade earlier. And, and that sparked a lot of the creativity and some of the collaboration on how can we start making these minifigs more unique. Mm. What were some of the solutions people had at the time to start uh, customizing them? They were pretty primitive. Uh, water slide decals were extremely popular back then. Uh, laser jet printers, uh, specifically color laser jet printers, started popping up. Uh, they were a little expensive, but you could print on water slide decal paper and you could kind of trim it out to the shape of the torso or the arms or even the uh, Lego minifigure head. Uh, and you can design your own custom figures that way. We were playing around with uh, something called Sculpey. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, making custom helmets and hats and swords and weapons that way. Um, eventually, that turned into resin. Uh, some of us started experimenting with that. Uh, let's see. Who is it? Um, oh, there was somebody who's really into resin. I can't think of his name right off the bat. He's the one who um, he made the original, like, Twi'lek heads and the female curved torso bodies. Oh, good. Uh, Ari- Aerialite. Yeah, Aerialite. He, he was heavily into these resin casts. Um, and, and he made some excellent, I'm just excellent models uh, using resin. Mm. So I'm assuming you were experimenting a little bit at the time with the customization. Um, what really sparked you to start going down the path to creating BrickForge? Well, before BrickForge, you know, there was, well, I guess, I guess I better go in order here. You know, there was this concerted effort to try and make something professional and resin Mm. doesn't cut it. Sculpey doesn't cut it. Um, I was making great helms out of Sculpey. Um, Aerialite was just getting in the resin. There was, uh, I mean, a whole bunch of us, uh, Camino in or Camino in, um, I think we, we can probably call him Jared. I won't say his last name, but he was doing some awesome sculpts of Star Wars character heads, specifically awesome decal work, a great artist. And um, there's another gentleman who lived in Hong Kong, and his name was Red Bean. Um, we all had our fun internet handles at the time. And mm-hmm. Red Bean and I got together, and we were trying to find a way to turn these resin or sculpy designs into legitimate professionally plastic injected molded accessories and that was right about uh, around 2000 2001 hmm that that's much further back than i expected i mean but we've already started so far back um so how did it continue with you and uh, red bean there so being in hong kong he had access to uh, plastic injection molded factories and so we, you know, collaborated on, you know, some swords and weapons that he wanted to make. Um, you know, we've always been stuck with the Lego bow and arrow with the arrow molded onto the bow. And we're like, well, we need to make a bow that doesn't have an arrow on it. Um, and so that was one of the first seven uh, products, which I, I would call mold one, uh, eventually uh, turned over to a Brickforge mold. Um, we collaborated on a second mold and a third one. And then after the third one, Red Bean decided, you know, um, he wanted to become an educator. Um, and so he felt like just, you know, the best thing to do 
to keep this going was just to kind of turn everything over to me. And so he just kind of shipped me all the inventory. And boy, the day I received that, it was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> I had all these awesome items uh, that, that he had created uh, with some input for myself and, and just seeing it in person was awesome. Um, and so I set to task developing a much smoother way to actually sell these stuff. The other people that wanted them uh, prior to that it was just a form. It was like an internet form and you'd fill up this form and you, somebody would get this form in an email and it would say, I want this, 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 and this. And we would manually total it up, email back an invoice, and then they would actually, believe it or not, send us a personal check in the amount. mail, goodness. And then when the check cleared, we would pack up the order and ship it to them. That is the early days of mail order. Wow. <laughs> um, go, just going back a little bit, uh, working with Red Bean, was he? Were you still operating with sculpted stuff, and then using a process to get them into sort of like a full injection mold, or was that that point they started to uh, like model these pieces uh, digitally? Yeah, so all of the original items were based on a sculpt. And wow. the, the manufacturer took the sculpt, and I believe they do what's called like a wax cast of it. Yeah, And then they use that cast to actually tool the mold. Um, so they were built on the original sculpts by Red Bean. And, and on the, in those early days, for those first three molds, my input was just limited to, I think the corner's too sharp on this hoplite helmet. Uh, I think the detail might be too rich on the dragon sword and, and that was it. But he was really the mastermind behind creating those original pieces and getting them set up to be manufactured. Uh, a little bit later, we moved strictly to CAD design. Mm. No, that is really amazing. Cause I, I love the personal touch that casting stuff provides where you actually have the artists like handwork in a way, but, um, Injection molding certainly provides a polish that is difficult to match with resin casting. So moving on, where did things go uh, go for you once you had all that stock in hand? Well, we had um, this this group of customizers, right? We had, uh, I, I call them Camino in, I'm sorry. I know it's probably pronounced different. Uh, there was <laughs> Ramus and Red Bean and Aerolite, um, a lot of these, uh, Damien Knight, all these early pioneers of customization, um, even the enigma that is Badger uh, was <laughs> on these forums. And we had a great time discussing what should we make next? What should we do? So we started this alliance called the Minifig Customization Network. And they, it was MCN for short. And the whole idea was we were going to take these, these Red Bean items, and that was going to be kind of our flagship product. And then we we're going to add um, Camino and decals and all these other things to this online store, uh, the, the MCN store. And so we started this forum um, and we click, quickly grew. We had you know, people like Quickblade show up and just all these avid customizers. And so in 2004, 2005, we started this idea of the MCN network. And so I got all the the stuff from Hong Kong and I was setting on uh, this online shop. And then I think what we had, we ended up with just too many cooks in the kitchen uh, is probably the mm. best way I could say that is everybody wanted to go different ways in terms of great, what should we do next? Um, and so the MCN network was somewhat short lived. Uh, the forum stayed, but there were some divisions and, you know, that kind of, you know, I'm going to take my banner and march over to this side and I'm going to go on this side. And we just kind of all parted ways and realized, well, while we can collaborate together on a forum and, and uh, stroke each other's ego, um, <laughs> when it comes down to actually selling something for a profit, uh, we all had different ideas of what that needed to look like. And that's where Brickforge uh, grew out of. Right, right. So... Yeah, I mean, just continuous on the path. Uh, how did you actually start to create Brickforge as a, its own entity? Well, you know, I mean, we just said, hey, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to make a variety of different accessories for the use, uh, for the purpose of minifig customization 
what should we call ourselves? And we really like that medieval theme. So, well, we're a forge. Yeah, sure. What are we forging? Well, we can't say we're a minifig forge. We're not going to be custom forge. And we couldn't certainly couldn't say we were Lego forge. Uh, <laughs> so you know, we did what every other company was starting to do and just put brick in front of our yep. uh, terminology. Yep. So we became brick forge. Our logo was a a brick and an anvil at first. Uh, we created a mascot called the Angry Dwarf Smith, and um, he was kind of a, a grumpy, grumpy mascot. And we just started uh, taking our pieces to shows and revamping the online form into actual early shopping cart, and that started to streamline our efforts and. I think you know every few months we just started to double in growth. I mean, the, the sales volume just kept going and going. We we just couldn't believe um, what we had started. Mm. So, what did you do to continue from there, um, creating new products? Now that Red Bean was out of the picture. Yeah. So early on, um, I think actually the first first vendor to make plastic molded injected. Plastic injected molded accessories was the Little Armory, mm. and they were based out of I think Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, boy, it could have been in Pennsylvania too, but somewhere southern Pennsylvania, that area. Um, and your listeners may recognize the vendor Little Arms Shop. Um, they had been in cahoots for a while, but had a falling through. Um, Little Army kind of dropped off the map, and then uh, Brick Arms showed up in 2005, I believe, 2006. And so right when uh, MCN was uh, breaking up and BrickForge was starting, uh, Brick Arms was beginning to launch their first products. And that was kind of that first, oh, Red Bean, there's somebody else doing this. Uh, we need to hurry up and decide what we're going to make. And, and we had this mini arms race for several years between... Brick Arms and, and Brick Forges, really just who could put out what the quickest, you know, oh, we better make this before Brick Arms does because, uh, you know, we don't want to have two in the market, which mm. which was inevitable, you know, I mean, it was inevitable that there was going to be some duplication, even with the Lego company, um, there was duplication, so, yeah, you know, yeah, especially nowadays. Oh, yeah, well, they, they clearly saw what we were doing in the market, and they had absolutely no bones about you know picking our ideas uh, and mimicking them uh, to a certain degree and so it was just uh, okay what are we doing for mold seven what are we doing for mold eight and at brickforge we were trying to diversify so we we're like well, let's do instruments let's do animals let's do scooters uh, and at that time Aerialite had uh, a resin scooter and so we contracted with him to actually make that into a professionally injected molded accessory. So oh, we were trying to stick with variety. And, you know, Brick Arms was sticking with you know, really, I would call it firearms um, and, and rifles. And, and they did it really well. Um, they were excellent at how they dropped their new items. Um, the Enigma that is Badger, you know, kind of sided <laughs> with, the, with, with Will and, and in that aspect. Um, and, you know, we had kind of our cohort of people ironclad brick forge enthusiasts and so it was really just what could we make the quickest that had the most application how, how could we draw in fans from different genres yeah yeah no that's something i've really enjoyed about your products when i first got exposed to them was that they were they pulled on many many different genres and had a lot of compatibility with just like generic sort of lego themes um you really had a broad um a broad appeal with your product lines, which was great. Well, so thanks, yeah. You mentioned um, that the demand was like insane, <laughs> more than you were expecting, and you're just going, uh, growing exponentially at a certain point. Um, how are you guys managing with that? Did you have to start onboarding employees? What was, uh, did you have to get a shop, a workspace? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, we just like any small business, we started in the basement, uh, mm -hmm. and then we ended in a, up in a, a bigger basement. Uh, eventually, we hired two young, young strapping men to come and work for us. And you know, after about a year, got tired of having people 
walk in our basement every day. So we moved, <laughs> moved out uh, in 2011 uh, to a shop in nearby Yellow Springs, Ohio. And that was a pretty significant move for us because that particular shop had a retail space built in. Oh. So we were able to do BrickForge in the back area and have a retail space where we sold BrickForge. And then, of course, we got into selling other construction-related toys. We would do birthday parties. And so we just we started to grow in many different directions. And um, you know, we just kept hiring people, I think, at our... Our highest point, I had about eight employees on the books, uh, anything from order fulfillment to working in a retail shop to doing birthdays uh, to doing uh, the CAD design. That's great. Did the retail um, shop really, I don't know. I always see the retail shops and I've, I, it would be great to have something like that locally, but it's difficult to imagine um, them sustaining themselves. How, did that actually work well in your area? It worked well in our area, and th- the great thing was because the retail part was really just an add-on. The secondary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't have to be – we didn't have to feed our family on, on the retail <laughs> aspect of it. But what people appreciated the most was the trading and, and the older sets. Um, we, would, we would often buy collections, um, you know, dust them off, fill in whatever missing pieces there were, put them in the case – we had a local lug group, so we would have a display in our front window. And yes, we did sell Lego sets. Um, at that time, they were much easier to come by. But uh, within three years, Lego began cracking down on who could sell Lego because they were launching their Lego shops uh, here, there, and everywhere. And so mm. after a while, it became problematic to continually keep Lego in stock. Um, so after about three and a half years, we decided to get rid of the retail aspect and just focus on uh, BrickForge, the, the mail order part of uh, our accessory business. How is um, Lego going about cracking down on small businesses carrying their product? Well, I think they just felt the need to vet, better vet some of these uh, small businesses that were buying. They had accounts with Lego and they would order and it was too much for Lego to send their reps around to make sure, are you, what does your shop look like? Are you selling our items properly? Um, so they just decided to dial that back and they, they severely limited which independent shops could carry. I think you had to be selling teddy bears and action figures and all these other things alongside. Uh, you couldn't be just be a Lego shop or even just a construction block shop. Hmm. That's interesting. Did you guys attend uh, many cons back in your day? Yeah, our first con was in 2006. It was BrickFest. Oh. It it wasn't the first BrickFest. There had been BrickFests, but those BrickFests were all AFOL conventions. And at some point, um, I forget who was in charge of Brick Fest at the time. I remember this, Christina Hitchcock, Joe Nino was involved, uh, but they decided to experiment with having a public day. And we attended with our very limited catalog. And this was in Washington, D.C. And it was just a madhouse. People just couldn't get enough of the vendor. I and mean, there was a, there was a Lego showed up. They did a little pop-up shop. But across the hallway, they had all of us, the black sheep. And <laughs> I think Little Armory was there. We were there. And maybe two other vendors were there. And we got mobbed. Um, and we walked away from that thinking, man, we need to do more of these. Um, and in 2007 was a new show called Brick World. And um, Brian Bonahum was you know, the purveyor of that show. And he decided to have that in Chicago. Um, I believe Adam Reed Tucker uh, was also partnering with him at the time. He's the one who helped launch the architecture series. And I think he now has a product called Adam Brick, if I'm not mistaken. And so those two together launched a show in Chicago. And we were one of, again, few vendors that attended that show. And it was great. I mean, we got our little acro bins full of parts out and made a colorful display. And, you know, interesting enough, 
the enigma that is Badger showed up at that show. And he actually <laughs> helped us work that work our booth. What a guy um, for a period a of time. Yes, and it, it made up for all the uh, the flaming that went on on the internet in those days. The Brick Arms versus Brick Forge. Um, but yeah, he's a swell guy. Um, he was a great spokesperson for Brick Arms, and you know it was really neat to just, just spend a day with him talking about uh, minifig customization. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, it's incredible to hear that there was such a good reception to um, third party elements, uh, even back then. So that's that's really cool. Here's a more oddball question: um, What prompted you guys to design your own minifigure system? You had those uh, two part arms and uh, the swivel hips, the molded legs. That's a good question. Um... Boy, I mean, at that time, we started seeing a lot of minifig customizers out there printing on Lego body parts. And, you know, there's, uh, I believe I first met, I ran in the Citizen Brick, I think it was either in 2012 or 2013 at, at Brick World Chicago. And that was really the first like professional printing I've seen. Uh, there was the brick engraver uh, who mm. started printing on Lego pieces as well. Um, Eclipse graphics, or I believe they were originally called Eclipse bricks. Um, but Victor was one of the early pioneers in that. And they were all receiving these letters from Lego saying, do not print on our bricks. And that eventually oh. turned into don't print corporate logos on, on our torsos. I think Whoa, that, was, that is something I'd never heard of. Can you break that down a little more? Yeah, well, you know, I'm probably saying more than I should, but <laughs> I mean, it, it was no secret that Lego was cracking down on people putting corporate logos on minifigure torsos because that that's what people did. It. It's, you know, somebody uh, selling uh, pizzas or dog food. Hey, we, we have a corporate event coming up. We've got 300 employees. Um, we saw what you did at the, this Lego show and we want you to make 300 minifigures with our logos on it. Right. And so, Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that. And so you know, these, these employees of the dog food company or the pizza company would get these tchotchkes uh, with a, a cool minifig and a logo on it. And, and they were great. And they became uh, word of mouth. They were highly requested. And over time, Lego found out about it. They said, well, here's the problem. Uh, this corporation that has this logo on our product may be performing business in a way that the Lego group doesn't agree with. So we don't want you printing corporate logos on our minifigs anymore. Now, whether that was actually heated or not is another story, mm. um, but I definitely know those letters were going out. And at the time I said, well, um, if, if these awesome cool custom minifigure print companies can no longer print on Lego elements, then maybe I'll give them something to print on. And so that's when we started brainstorming about this uh, new minifigure type, if you will. We, we didn't want to make it exactly like uh, the official minifigure. We wanted uh, some nuances in there. And, you know, some of the things that people were requesting was uh, overmolded arms or multicolored arms. And, and we didn't know how to Overmold at the time, so we're like, well, let's do a two-piece arm that way people can swap them out. Let's do a two-part leg so people can have an upper and lower leg, whether it's boots or shorts. And um, so that's kind of what generated the decision to to pursue that. Mm. And hey, I mean, with enough time, Legos copied those ideas as well. But um, <laughs> the the sleeved arms were very nice when they first came out. Yeah, and, and I think um, there's other people. You know, pad printing has become the, the fix, I think. Um, I, didn't th I didn't think the technology was there for these printing companies to say, hey, we can accurately do a two-tone arm through pad print. Um, mm. and, and I certainly didn't see the overmolding from Lego coming. And so, you know, that was a bit of a misstep on my part. And, you know, I think ultimately I was, I was jealous of people like Victor and, and Joe. And I was like, man, and I want to make my own stuff. You know, Al was making some good stuff and, and there were some people doing UV print at the time. And I'm like, 
I want to do this. So I looked into maybe getting a UV printer. I never pulled the trigger on that, but I was like, I want to, I want access. I want my own body parts. So I'm going to print on them. But um, we never got there. I, I just wasn't as passionate as I was about making accessories. Mm, right on. So where did things go from there? Well, again, um, gosh, I, I don't know where we are on the timeline per se, but we, we tried to be innovative as much as possible. Um, one of the follow-up molds, I believe, to the minifig mold was the, uh, I guess we'll call it the World War II molds that we did where um, it involved what we call the rig system. Yes, yes, yes. Accessories attaching to other accessories. Um, and yeah. I, I think we were we were looking at World War II as a, a possible genre that we had, we just tested the waters with, with one mold. I think we had a grease gun and an M1 helmet and we're like, Let's really let's really do this. Let's knock World War II out of the park, and then if it's successful, we can take the rig system on the other things. And one of the things uh, I really was kind of envisioning was uh, Ripley in Aliens, where I think it was Hicks or her, you know, duct taped a, a flamethrower to the pulse rifle. And I was like, what if we could do that? What if we could create attachable and detachable uh, accessories? And so we experimented with these uh, I think they're one and a half millimeter pegs on the side of, of various elements and then the complementary female part of that uh, the holes where the pegs would fit into and so we really want to start pushing the envelope on minifig accessories and and how people could start customizing their minifigures yeah I remember when those came out the uh, rigged vest and I was quite a fan of those um, the base rig design I've still even used on a figure uh, here and there just because the nice sort of minimalistic skeletonized webbing system looks good. So continuing on with the World War II line you had, um, you ended up like having a really nice packaging and everything for that, like a retail ready packaging. Um, and I was looking through your Flickr, you'd even attended Toy Fair with stuff like that. Was there a goal or intention behind that to really try and expand the business? Um, you know, beyond just your online fulfillment? A thousand percent. Um, we were speaking to our current list of resellers. I think we had maybe 50 plus at the time. And we were kind of inquiring to them as to, you know, would anybody, you know, how, how are you displaying BrickForge products and, and even some of the other competing vendors? Like, well, we just have them loose. So you just let these people pick through a bin. Yes. And so I was like, well, what if you had something that was in more of a clamshell package that was pre-configured per character? Uh, so in, in this case, we had launched the rig system. We had the World War II. And really, that was designed from its, from its inception to actually create various World War II characters, whether it be a, a United States general or a uh, German SS trooper you know, all those. So we had various characters, Flame Trooper. And so that's kind of how we designed the mold was to come up with six to 12 different characters. And then we would pack them in a case and then ship the case out. We did get to that point. Um, we, we did distribute those packs to several uh, toy stores, including bricks and minifigs. And we wanted a larger distribution. We were saying, yeah, well, what if we wanted to get into a a Target or a Walmart or, or maybe um, somebody even a little bit smaller, perhaps. And so we scouted out Toy Fair. I believe it was 2014. Yeah. And um, I don't know if that was the year. We, we scouted out one year and then we actually attended the next year. So I, I might be off by one year. Um, but the year we I attended. I recall seeing 2014 on the post. Okay. So we had our uh, backdrop and. You know, we had everything firing on all cylinders with, with the rig system and the packaging. And, you know, we were starting to get a lot of interest at the show and our feet were getting tired. And then all of a sudden <laughs> we see somebody taking pictures and we weren't seasoned vendors at, at, at Toy Fair, but the person across from us was. And he said, you need to tell them to stop taking pictures because they, they're not allowed to do that without your permission. So, you know, they, we kind of chased them off. Well, a few hours later, this person came back with an entourage and, um, you know, we'll call them the suits 
And of course, I get a closer look at the name tag, and it uh -oh. says Lego A slash S. <laughs> oh boy, is is code for Lego Legal. And so clearly, we're like, oh, well, we captured uh, more interest than we thought we would today. And that is what I believe was the catalyst into them enforcing their trademark that they literally just got a few months prior. So they had uh, trademarked the silhouette, if you will, of the minifig itself, mm -hmm. which is a lot different saying, oh, we got a patent on the head. We've got a patent on the torso. In this case, they're taking the, the model, the visual art of the minifigure and trademarking it. And so, um, you know, of course, just like everybody else was doing, our accessories were displayed on minifigures and our artwork was emulating minifigures. And so it wasn't very long, uh, maybe seven weeks, and we got a cease and desist from Lego. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, I, and we weren't the only ones. We may have been the first when it came to the trademark, but there were definitely other people. And of course, we explored our options and we came to uh, an agreement with uh, Lego as to how we could present our accessories. And it, it really wasn't as bad as, as I thought. I think the biggest one was we had to change. Uh, we had to swap out the minifig silhouette in our logo to a flame. And that, ah, that was okay. the most egregious. And you know, I was like, well, if that's all we really have to do, it's no big deal. Um, yeah, and, you live so, to uh, you live to tell another. You know, you lived another day. It wasn't. Uh, it yes, came I, out I, relatively unscathed. I, I live to be on the podcast here to tell everybody my yeah. side of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 FYI, that wasn't that was actually the first time we received a cease and desist. We received one from Games Workshop. Uh, they're the, Whoa, the makers okay. of Warhammer. Really? And what was that for? So one of our most popular, and, and I think to this day, Brickforge's most popular accessory would be the uh, the Power to Salt helmet and the Power to Salt armor, uh, along with the uh, accoutrements. Um, from the Microsoft, originally Microsoft game Halo, um, so Master Chief. And so um, we originally called those elements Space Marines. Ah. Uh, <laughs> which was a trademark of course, term. Of course they didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, so they, you know, they do a sweep of the internet and anything that says Space Marine on it. Um, so I got a yeah. letter for that. So that's what prompted the change to Power Assault. All right. Yeah, that is certainly um, the the most coveted item of your catalog. That is, it's still talked about to this day, um, and still sought after. A lot of has a lot of fans, and it's just it's iconic for the silhouette it provided. It's, it's a great piece. And I think I think there's a new movie being released. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I need to go tell my my buddy he needs to uh, start re-releasing that in, in a multitude of colors again <laughs> i think for a while like a few years back they weren't really available on the site much and there was a big uptick in people just asking around like hey uh i'm, I'm really out here seeking the brick forge power assault armor if anyone has it hit me up i'll pay a good bit for it like <laughs> for a while there you had it going yep all right yeah it's no fun um trying to navigate those legal troubles but you know all in all it seems like you came out relatively unscathed um were you able to still sort of pursue that retail packaging kind of stuff well we we sold out of what we had um we didn't we, we chose not to reorder because um that was kind of an eye-opener and in fact a year before i actually went um overseas to visit the manufacturing facility and something else that struck me was just the sheer number of knockoffs that had been floating around these we call them the markets or, or the mm, bazaars mm -hmm. in, in hong kong they're all over mm -hmm. the place and they were goofy i mean they were terrible they're they were awfully done the print was was terrible i don't know who, who was doing the artwork but they clearly uh, didn't understand the lego aesthetic or even the measurements of and, you know, I, I brought a bunch home and I studied them. I said, you know what? It's, it's not going to be long before these manufacturing companies 
whether Lego tries to rein them in or not, are going to become really good at this. And yeah. they're going to start knocking off my products and Brick Arms products. And even now we've seen uh, Brick Warriors products. And that was one thing that, that, that really spooked me. And I think the having the encounter at uh, Toy Fair was kind of another um, a blow, if you will. And so that's when I kind of said, well, maybe I'm getting tired of the grind. Um, because, you know, at that point in time, Brick Warriors kind of came out of nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say came out of nowhere. Uh, as a matter of fact, a, a small fact was that the owner of Brick, uh, Brick Warriors actually worked for both Will Chapman and myself. Uh, wow. At point, uh, doing design work. And then he kind of, you know, struck out on his own uh, to do his own mm. thing. And, and and there were others. And I was just like, man, do, how long can I just keep this grind going where it's just this race to, to get these custom elements out before somebody else does? And, and at the time I was... Um, well, actually, Brickforge was doing really well. It was just, it was running itself. Um, you know, you, true to small business and, and startups, you put a lot of work in at the beginning, but then when you become efficient, you realize you got tons of extra time. And so I started getting into education and um, guest speaking um, for entrepreneurship classes, marketing classes, and I started to really enjoy that. I thought maybe, maybe uh, Red Bean was right. Maybe I should get into education like he did um and so i started kind of spinning off that way seeing how how could i bring my experience or take my experience and and share that with the youth of today and and kind of show them how they can start their own companies and that's when um i think 2016 we started uh deciding you know if there's an if there's an exit point um maybe we'll take it and um you know we started uh we stopped creating anything new um mm -hmm. we really just kept up with some of the more popular items and just kind of wanted to see where that was going to take us right so you uh you were approached about selling brickforge or did you uh seek that opportunity out you know we just figured we would just sell out of inventory and quietly disappear into the mist oh wow okay um that would have been but... sad that would have been sad <laughs> I, well, you know, somebody had other plans because a lot of people noticed, you know, uh, we would call them sales. They're really liquidation sales, but um, you know, oh, Brickford, you're having an awful lot of sales. And soon some of our AFOL buddies kind of understood what was happening. Like, oh, you're, you're really liquidating, aren't you? And, mm. um, you know, sure that, uh, you know, yeah, we're thinking of maybe moving, uh, getting out of the space, uh, moving on to some other adventure. And that sparked, um, I, I, all at once, three different entities approached us about buying the business. Wow. And I, I suspect the good thing was we, we had been consolidating for the last year um, because if they had approached us a year or two earlier, they wouldn't have been able to afford it. Hmm. Uh, but the fact that we were scaling back really in, invited some some key players into the space saying, oh, you know, maybe we could do something with this. We've always wanted to do this. Um, we've liked what you guys have done. And so we actually entertained three bids all at the same time in late 2018, I believe it was. That That's really interesting that um, you had so much interest almost right off the bat once people started uh, catching wind of what was going on. How did it proceed once you had um, all those offers on the table? Well, we chose the the person or persons who we thought would best take care of the company and, and best preserve the name. Um, mm. I, you know, they they're down in Arkansas. Um, they were show buddies of ours for quite some time, and they just they said, "Well, we, we want to take her around." Um, you know, the primary owner's name is Richard. And he's he's a tinkerer. He loves loves to do a lot of things. He he's played around with printing on minifig parts, um, and so he liked the idea of having this turnkey operation where he could make stuff and mm -hmm. have it injected, mold, uh, injection molded. And so he really latched on that idea, and we just had some great conversations and decided it was just a perfect fit. 
and um, we, we came to an agreement on, on what, what the value was of the company. And, um, you know, 13 hours later in a small trailer, everything was his. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what, uh, what's your relationship with Lego like now after you've sold your company and now you're sort of out of things? Well, you know, something interesting that was happening in 2017 that I thought might um, kind of get me back into it was I had a discussion with, uh, at the time, Paul Smith Meyer. Um, and I think he's, he's gone on to do other things, but he's the one who worked with Adam Lee Tucker to make architecture a reality. And hmm. I believe he's the one that helped uh, another company uh, work with uh, the robotics or, or the motorization aspect of lego and he was kind of this community outreach he was trying to see how afl wells could play a role uh, at the lego company and we actually spoke several times and for several hours about coming out with these battle packs for lego stores and hmm. you know i don't know what the specifics would have looked like um but that was a very intriguing idea to both of us but a few months after these discussions he he left the lego group and quite mm. frankly, there was a lot of turnover um, in that year. So a lot yeah. of the people yeah. I knew at uh, Lego, specifically in, in Finland or, or in their United States office, they, they, they left. And it was, it was kind of sad. And so then I realized, well, there's not much of a relationship left with Lego corporate. And um, you know, between some of these other things, I think we're just going to move forward. So after I sold the business... Um, I, I just became a, a fan, a moderate fan. Um, I, I had a whole bunch of Lego sets stored up and that I used for marketing purposes. And, um, and I said, you know, I just, um, I, I'm just not going to go crazy buying things. Cause I was really buying things to sell my stuff, um, mm -hmm. using Lego as a backdrop. And, and I would love to build it and, um, going to shows and, and being around other AFOLs, you know, I was in. A local lug here in Ohio. Uh, I joined Virtual Lug, I think, in 2014, and we had some awesome builds. So I, I really enjoyed the building aspect of it, but really it was because I was already immersed in the community. And I think also part of it was I had two small boys at the time. And, you know, by the time 2018 rolled out, they aged out of Lego. Um, I stopped going to shows because I didn't necessarily need to sell anything at shows. And so my enthusiasm for the brick, um, you know, sort of cut down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. The idea of Lego having those accessory packs is quite interesting. Um, I'd love to see them sort of pursue something like that in the future, um, as long as it doesn't sort of impede <laughs> any other companies who might have a competing interest just for Lego to come and uh, take their territory. That'd be unfortunate, but it's a cool idea nevertheless. Well, you know, they have the minifig battle packs with the figures in it, and, and those were pretty sweet. But, you know, they always came with the same swords and the same helmets and the same axes or the same accessories. And so the idea was, well, let's just do a, a bundle of accessories and you yeah. know, theme, theme it out by, by genre. And, you know, they might be like three, four dollar packs or something like that. And, and, you know, that was at the time that the collectible minifigs were, were moving in pretty strong. And they, they just saw this, these um, impulse shoppers buying these little grab bags. And they thought that might be a really neat um, thing to offer uh, in the Lego shops. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm, I'm relatively set. I think I've hit kind of all my questions. Do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on? Well, I suppose I could talk customization all day and, and, and the history of how this <laughs> I mean, I think I've heard uh, in past podcasts, uh, we're in the golden age of customization. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I don't know how many other people are echoing the sentiment, but I would certainly say so myself. There's uh, There's been a great uptick in a lot of the companies that are producing stuff. There's more companies than ever. There's more people in the community active than ever, I'd feel like. So, yeah. I, I would agree. I think we are in the golden age and... and... I think Brick, Brick Forge was part of that, that silver age and, and perhaps even early bronze age um, mm -hmm. in, in the late 90s uh, as the predecessor to Brick Forge. We were just kind of tinkering around with things, um, but we made it happen. And 
I always like to think, you know, we, we paved the way for, for these dozens and dozens of companies to express themselves through artistic means uh, by, by either printing on Lego minifigures or designing their own accessories and selling them. So I, I, I think it's neat that we're in the golden age and we've hit that. I don't know what comes after at this point, to be honest with you. Uh, um, the platinum age? I don't, I, I don't know. We're just, we, continue, we continue going up from here, that's for sure. <laughs> I've definitely uh, been keeping tabs on, on the goings-ons in, in the customization community, but I will admit I'm, I'm starting to lose track of those printing on uh, minifigs. And, and I will say I am a pad print snob. Mm. <laughs> um, when when I first was tinkering around with uh, UV print, there was a local community college that had a, a UV printer, and I asked uh, the manufacturer to send me some samples. I sent them a whole bunch of Lego, sent them some designs. So I actually had these prototype designs, UV printed on Lego body parts, and I didn't like it. I just the way the light hit the ink just totally mm. turned me off the UV, and I. I just don't like it. Now, maybe, maybe some uh, technologies moved up to where it's a little bit better, but the, the, the smoothness of the pad print, you just can't match that. Yeah, it's unmatchable, but what's unfortunate is there's a lot of uh, bad applicators of the UV process, so it gives it a really bad rap. But uh, there will always be a difference in quality, but there's some exceptional work out there in the UV space. Well, and I think that's why you know I was shocked when i first came across citizen brick at, at that brick world and i'm like man this is neat stuff and you know i i think i spent like ten dollars on the heavy metal enthusiast version one mm. <laughs> and um it was either that show or the next show um joe and i we did some trading we, we would always talk about the state of things in, in the customization community and he started bringing this at the time i think it was this tupperware bowl uh, he called it a yeah. stash, and it was full of just, I, I don't want to call them misprints per se, because right. the, prints, the prints were accurate, but they were tests, right, on different color yeah, heads. Yeah, alternative colors. Around. And I remember, you know, my kids, well, oh gosh, they were eight or nine, ten at the time, and they were like, ah, go get me uh, some green, lime green heads from Citizen Bird with these. I don't know. I just started picking them out, you know, I'd, Toss them a few bucks, redo some trading. Um, and so I accumulated quite a few that way. And um, I think I picked up the, the first baby he made and the, the original supercomputer. So, you know, I was a big fan uh, of, of Joe's work for, for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. And you recently liquidated a few of those items. Um, what's it like seeing how far that uh, the collector side of his products has come and the, the prices they could fetch nowadays? Well, I mean, you know, prices aside, I'm just, I mean, there's a whole Facebook group and, and you know, there's, in the forums that still exist, there's still a lot of chatter that goes on about uh, CB, as they call it now, mm -hmm. and try, <laughs> trying to, to find those old, old grails. And I'm just like, man, I just, I can't believe that, you know, I mean, even, even a, a rare Lego figure, um, okay, maybe not as rare as the, the Cloud City Boba Fett, but but some of the more rare ones are just, you know, $50, $75. But here we have a, a aftermarket pad printed Lego minifigure by a third party. And, you know, it's several hundred dollars. And I'm, I'm just shocked. But that's just a testament to Joe's work. I mean, he stays true to uh, uh, his form in, in terms of the, the aesthetic of Lego and, and you know, his, his kind of, we'll say, uh, humorous, I'll say humorous designs. <laughs> and um uh so i i appreciate that um you know victor was another one uh, i think he used to buy a lot of bottles from us and and print on yeah. the, our, our minifig bottles in different colors yeah he made the liquor packs with all sorts of uh branding on the bottles and those were hilarious I, I absolutely loved those and i really wish i could have partnered more with him and, and done something with joe but um you know we we're again we we're all artists and we we're all in our separate directions and occasionally crossed paths and had a few laughs. Um, but ultimately I think it's just, you know, the most important thing is we, we just respected what each other did. And, and, you know, that was one of the best things about the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see um, yourself ever getting back into Lego in a, uh, a bigger capacity or, you know, just 
keep things as it is a lego set here or there if it ever interested you no it's like the crypto market you know uh, the, <laughs> the, the people that that were mining bitcoin in the early days and hung on to it and then it just hit that spike that's not going to happen again okay so um i you know i really don't have any other ideas um on how to complement existing lego products knowing full well that lego will probably just copy the idea someday anyway uh, so mm. I'm, I'm i'm happy being a satisfied casual observer as far as what other people are doing um you know i sometimes i suspect i i, I would go back to a lego show and i probably will buy a few things um, but I just have other interests at the moment, and I, I'm just really tied up in, in some of those things. Mm. Well, you can rest assured that you you walked so all of these companies now can run. You can be rest assured in, in your legacy. Um, speaking to you being a bit of a casual observer nowadays, um, have you caught wind of much of the resin printing technology that's come around? I've seen some of it. Um, I think the latest I've seen was K-Town. Bricks has a, a Gondor helmet and maybe another Lord of the Rings-esque helmet. Um, and those look a lot smoother than what I remember. We used to get our prototypes done through Shapeways. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But, but they had, I mean, they were modifying 3D printers to where they were coming out pretty smooth. And while I wouldn't ever sell any accessories printed straight up from Shapeways, first of all, they were really expensive. Um, I think that technology has come a long way. So I, I haven't been following it, but I've seen some of the products coming out of it and um, some are better than others. Mm. Yeah, it's really, um, I don't know, it's making the production of like parts a lot more accessible to a much wider audience. It's kind of like, um, you've already used crypto as an analogy, so I'll do it as well. Uh, decentralizing things from these big uh, uh, companies and it's allowing a lot smaller people just have an idea to get into the space, which has been really interesting to see. Yeah. And, you know, kind of maybe rewinding a few minutes. I, another thing I just find startling is a lot of these, these artists getting into this, whether it is the, the resin printing or plastic injector molded accessories or printing, whether it's through UV, these are all the kids I used to sell to at shows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and that just blows my mind um, that you know not just Brickforge, but all of us were such an inspiration that they grew up craving to do the same thing and, and take this to the next level with available technology. So in part, I just kind of feel like this, you know, curmudgeonly old person that's like, I'm going to move over and make room for the next generation and just kind of sit back and see what they're doing. Hmm. That that's kind of beautiful. I never saw it so much in that way that you were really um, planting the seed in a lot of these people who are now taking the reins to produce something even further. That is great. All right. Would you like to move on into Copper Drop here? Wrap things up? Sure. I think we're probably getting to that point in time. I don't, hopefully I'm not boring anybody. No, no. <laughs> All right. Since you've already mentioned K-Town, we'll uh, hit it up with the first item here. Ulrich Von... I'm not going to even attempt to <laughs> pronounce the last name. Uh, Jungian. Jungian, yeah. That's that's probably about right. Um, I mean, you already uh, mentioning a little bit of disdain for UV printing, but K-Town is certainly an exception, at least in my book, as uh, one who does it right. How are you feeling about this guy? So... Early on, I, I, I have a bit of a, so I used to, gosh, decals aside, I created this system out of paper. It was like, it was like these little, I don't know how to explain it, but back in the day, there were these um, cutouts that girls would cut out uh, clothing and fold these tabs and put it on paper dolls. And hmm. I, I created this system of, of folding paper, if you will for minifigs and it would wrap around them, um, kind of this full body wrap. And, you know, would have a little, the paper kind of hang down below the hips a little bit. And, and I would make all sorts of knights. And one of them was a, a Teutonic knight. And it, it looked a lot like Ulrich. So I, I already 
like the design. Um, I and, and I'm partial to Castle, but you know, I, I'm I'm a pad print snob, so you know, <laughs> I I think I would have to drop this one. Um, Understandable. But but I'll drop that with saying I love some of their newer pad printed stuff. Uh, they have a hilarious tile that had a, has a Lego goat on it. Oh yeah, the goat. Yes, yeah, that's really funny. Um, and some of their armor pieces are stellar. So I really hope they they bring back Ulrich and some of the other knights, but but using the print pad technology because there's been a few times that I have I've almost pulled the trigger on these um, because really they're they're affordable and they're well done. But just my history with UV print, I just I just couldn't do it. But if it was <laughs> if it was pad print, yeah, I probably would. So, but for now, I, I got to drop this one. Yeah. It certainly seems like that'll be in the future now that they have a, a four ink, uh, four color machine, I believe. So looking forward to whatever uh, K-Town whips up. All right, next item up, Brick Arms is teasing a new rifle, the Ion rifle. Um, how are you feeling about this guy? Well, this, um, you know, this looks a lot like the reloaded stuff. So I don't know if this is overmolded. I'll assume it's overmolded. Um, you know, yeah, Brick it Forge. is. Brickforge would actually print. So on our accessories, it looked overmolded, but this was just actually an ink, ink application. Um, mm. I remember they made they made an older ion rifle mold, and in fact, Brickforge had a series of Star Wars guns that had the uh, J- Jawa ion uh, blaster. I think we call it the ion blaster. Um, this one looks pretty sweet, um, but I know how much those reloaded parts go for. <laughs> um, and you know if, if this one's uh, upwards of 15 to 20 dollars i might pass on it but if it's affordable um i hope they produce the dark brown one because because i might pick one of those up so yeah maybe somewhere in between copper drop crop yeah Can like the crop? design a crop i like oh you, <laughs> yes you've introduced something new here it's a crop it's a crop it, it's price dependent <laughs> I like it. Last item up here, um, another pseudo brick arms item, but um, with Eclipse graphics, the printed dark blades into the cyber blades with all sorts of um, unique sort of cyberpunk details. How are you feeling about these? So I actually saw these the other day. Um, and, and this is crazy because, you know, in the last several months of uh, I've just kind of hopped back into it just to see what's going on after a, a very long hiatus. Um, and I, I actually like these. Um, and, and, you know, am I going to buy just one and, and pay shipping? No. So I think, I think I will cop like five of these if I can get one, <laughs> one of each color um, because they are pretty sweet. So I tip my hat to uh, brick arms for the mold and eclipse graphics for the print. Uh, I will definitely cop one of these or a few. Oh, that's great to hear. It, it's certainly an exciting item. And it's you mentioning uh, previously attempts to collaborate with other uh, people in the space. And this is just an excellent example of collaboration gone well in the community. It's nice to see those from the silver age, you know, growing strong in the golden age. And as you said, collaborating and, <laughs> coming up with new things and, and sometimes I regret I'm not there, but um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what all these other guys and even Brickforge, seeing what they're putting out next. Um, I think they have a, a new sword or two that they've been releasing um, in ter- as far as their Knights pack goes. So uh, again, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, urge your audience to at least go check out Brickforge if they haven't in the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to as well. And it's it was exciting to hear that um, you've put someone who's innovative at the helm, who was uh, really excited to get down into the nitty gritty and, you know, expand things and try new stuff out. So I look forward to hopefully some interesting designs in the future from them. All right. We've made it all the way through. Thank you so much for the time, Kyle. It was great getting to talk to you. Do you have uh, any last thoughts for the audience? You know, I, I would always... Uh... We used to do some podcasts before they were really even called podcasts. And I would just always say, you know, keep on Mizen. Mizen? Yeah, Mizen's my apostrophe shortened term for customizing. So keep on Mizen. Man, you're coming with all sorts of terms. I had a 
I had to put you on to the cop lingo, but you're putting me on to all sorts of things now too. So this is it's coming around. <laughs> yeah, Keep it mizen. I like it. All right. Thank you. Have a great night, man. All right. Bye, everyone. And that wraps up this episode of the podcast. Thank you all for listening, and I really appreciate you joining me for this episode, Kyle. If you enjoyed this episode, like I said at the top of the show, go on Spotify or iTunes and rate us five stars. And if you're a hater, don't worry about it. Don't. Just leave it blank. Leave it blank. You didn't hear anything I just said. Moving on, um, you could also share us on Instagram, repost the wrap-up post, or share the podcast with a friend. It's all appreciated. All the love. Thank you, guys. See you next time.